Welcome to the My House Podcast, a show about the past, present, and future goings-on at the My House Youth Drop-In Center in Wasilla, Alaska, with your host, Michelle Overstreet. Hi, welcome to episode 37 of the My House Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Overstreet, and today I'm joined by Isaac. It's just Isaac and I, and we're just going to be giving a little My House update about where we are and what we have going. So thank you for joining us. Isaac, do you have any housekeeping for us? Yeah, we probably should talk about a couple of things because we had like a weird week off and then my voice released two episodes back to back and now we're doing this on a Friday. Rotary Uncorked was great. We got through it. We took a short little break here because turns out that was uh, kind of swamped us a little bit. It but did. we're back. We we actually had those those two my voice episodes with Brian, which I thought were fabulous. You should if you haven't listened to those, you should one hundred percent be going back and taking a listen to those now. Redemption had an episode come out just this past uh, couple days ago with Mary Havens, and that was really good as well. Julian Stacy talked with her and her sister. And so now we have My House Podcast, obviously, coming out today. Next week, Diagnonsense is going to be back because Kurt and I finally have figured out uh, a way to get a schedule set up. And also, I've had time to watch Apocalypse Now because we're doing a movie <laughs> episode. And I'm watching Apocalypse Now, but it's like three hours long. So I had to wait till my wife was going to be out of the house for a full day so I could sit down for three hours and watch Apocalypse Now when I get home. So that's What'd what I'm think? doing What'd tonight. What do you think of it? I'm watching it tonight. Oh, you I don't are? Know. Okay. I, yeah. I have to, uh, Kurt says I have to immerse myself fully in it. So I don't know. I have like a boonie hat that I used to run around the woods with. I'll put my boonie hat on and okay. Okay. I'll wear like a sleeveless uh old camo shirt or something. I'll (laughs) figure it out. I'll figure it out. Character. So, (laughs) so ideally we have Diagnonsense coming out next week. Redemption's going to be recording some more stuff next week. We'll probably wait a little bit with them, but we're going to be getting back into the swing of having four episodes every two weeks for a little bit. I know that Brian, who's taking over my voice, already has some interviews set up as well. So we've got a lot of cool content coming out in the next little bit. And of course, Radiothon is on November 3rd. So that is also coming up all day from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Valley Radio Q 99.7. And for the second year in a row, live from here in the My House Recording Studio. How exciting. How very exciting. It's so nice. I think we have a lot to be proud of, but it really makes me feel proud when we have the Anchorage DJs come out. Eddie P. always joins us. Eddie Maxwell. Mm-hmm. All the Eddies. All the Eddies are here during the day, and we just have tremendous support. So thank you for your work on that, Isaac. You've been working hard on that. It, it's going to be a really, really fun day. I wanted to talk about something today that is always in the back of my mind and has been for the last 10 years since we opened this drop-in center. I think one of the things that's been really interesting about this journey is how many people first said that it wouldn't work, like the belief that homeless youth don't have dreams and don't have goals. And what we found about that, what we found out about that was that they do have dreams and goals, but they've been literally pounded out of them sometimes or or they're just so disillusioned that they can't even connect with them early on. I had a young man come in. I want to say thank you to him. He came in week before last. I just met him coming in the door and said, oh, hi, how are you? And and he took the time to stop and say, you know, I, I, I came here to say thank you. And he said, I come here regularly to shop in the thrift shop because I really love it. But I really wanted to say thank you because you were the first person in my life who said, 
what do you dream about being? What do you want to be when you grow up? And, and how can we make a path to get you there? And he said, I took that path, and I don't think I would be here if I hadn't. I just didn't have hope. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a forward mission. And that really got me thinking about how many of the youth we see are just don't have a belief in their future. And, and it brought me full circle with a couple of emails that I got this week from, uh, <laughs> from, from people talking about mass shelters and group shelters and, and kind of urban program strategies that don't work. It's clearly been an epic failure across the country, uh, communities that start out with mass shelters. First off, I don't believe that those are humane. They are they are, they are not kind. They are not helpful. You are not helping anyone by doing that. They are cruel. They are de- dehumanizing. They're not safe. And people across the country that have taken those shelters apart to disband them will, will tell you that and, and will advocate for a no-shelter model. What we focus on is exit strategies. And what I love about exit strategies is that it always has a place. You always have a place to go forward. You're not talking about just shelter. Housing is not the solution to homelessness. Exit strategies is. We can provide housing for all the people that we want that are chronically homeless, but if they're back out on the, on the street panhandling and drinking and doing drugs, then they eventually lose that housing or they compromise their health and end up in a hospital that costs more money. Uh, but if we take the time to case manage them through the process of, of getting help and getting sober and create a safety network for them and a step down from the, from the place that they are struggling at into additional services, additional supports, and then additional independence. That's where we save money for the community. We get people off the street. We reduce panhandling. We reduce theft and drug dealing. And it doesn't require a shelter to do that. The more I hear housing is is the solution for homelessness. It's a catchy slogan, right? What's the solution to homelessness it's housing? It's it's a catchy slogan. It's and easy it, to sell. It's, it's easy to sell, right? It it. It gets more and more frustrating for me uh, recently, especially because it's such a misunderstanding about why we have individuals that are youth that are homeless, individuals that are chronically homeless. It, it housing is a a very important wraparound service, and it, it no should question. be it no should question. be if not the center of your model, it it's got to be you know, a pillar in your model, Mm -hmm. but housing, having, having housing available, having beds available doesn't address any of the actual reasons why people are homeless. Um, You know, and, and there's a lot of really great data on increase in rent prices. It's admittedly, it's hard for a, a family of four to afford housing or afford a level of housing that that they were able to 20 years ago but the the clients that we see and I think a lot of the visible homelessness that is out there is these you know youth experiencing homelessness that we're dealing with or the chronically homeless population is is oftentimes the most visible and we're talking about individuals that have severe mental health behavioral health challenges severe uh, substance abuse struggles and simply providing housing by itself misses 
a, a huge chunk of the services that you need. You have to have those substance abuse treatment partners in place. You have to have the mental behavioral health partners in place because like you said, otherwise there's, yes, they're, they're off the street, they're out of sight. And that's what everyone loves about the congregate shelter, right? Is, oh, they're out of sight. You know, we're doing something. They're not sleeping right. in a bus station. Right. It's like, well, great guys, but n- that doesn't improve their life one bit. Now they're just sleeping in the Sullivan Arena. But the opposite of addiction is connection, and there's no connection. There's no connection for them if you just put them in housing or you just put them in shelter. You silo them. You silo them. You do the opposite of that. Right. And they're surrounded by people doing drugs and selling drugs and trading for drugs. So so what makes us different? What makes the My House model different? And, And why is it so effective? And the answer to that is actually twofold. The first one is uh, has to do with our local housing and homeless coalition. And we all have worked together. The partners in that coalition have worked hard to avoid a congregate shelter. And as a community, we offer housing and services. We partner with the Job Center. We offer behavioral health and substance abuse uh, treatment, job training, a variety of job training programs to help homeless exit their circumstances permanently. Look at the number of restaurants in, in across the country right now that are limiting their service hours. They're not open for lunch because they don't have the staff. And then walk down to the congregate shelter and tell me that there's no solution there for both of those problems. It's a fascinating dynamic and there's an answer there if you're willing to be intellectually honest about what's happening. The great thing about those service industry jobs, I was having this conversation with someone the other day about, you know, maybe you don't have to work in food, but I think everyone should be working some sort of service job for at least a year or two years because all the building blocks of being a good employee, being a good teammate are all within delivering pizzas at Papa John's. If right. Right. If I'm Wait, using myself as an example. Waitressing at the windbreak, right? Wait, waitressing at the windbreak. All those pieces are there. And what that allows you to do with the income that you're making is go after what you want your career to be, what you want your you know education level to be. Mm-hmm. That provides you the, stabil- the stability to have housing, to have education. And, and the good news is this is where we need our housing partners and where housing is a key solution is if we can help you stay housed during that period when you're trying to get on your feet and learn those skills and we can assist you there. And we're not so much just throwing housing at you and like, all right, and now you're going to be successful. Oh, yeah. But we can, right. we can just support you and walk with you a little bit along the way on that path to becoming self-sufficient. You know, you don't have to worry about, am I going to pick up two extra shifts so that I can pay for my apartment, or am I going to go to school tonight, or am I going to go to NIT tonight, or am I going to, you know, do do whatever you whatever you're doing to try to be successful? Am I going to go to my twelve steps meeting tonight or my treatment meeting tonight? Mm-hmm. It's 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 so important, and yet it seems like the the thing that we're hearing most from certain communities, and and I think nationally too is that this is that silver bullet that's finally going to kill homelessness, right? Yeah, and it's, and it's a disaster. The so the mission of my house is to empower youth experiencing homelessness to be contributing, self-supporting members of their community. That contributing word is so critical because that's where, that's the opposite of addiction. That's where 
the connection is. They have a connection with the people that they're working with at Papa John's, with the people they're working with at the Windbreak or Red Robin or Burger King or wherever it is. And we can provide the safe shelter and wraparound services with a philosophy of a hand up and not a hand out. And they can develop a lifestyle where they feel needed by the community. One of my favorite stories is when we first started this 10 years ago, uh, Bert Cottle was the, the mayor of Wasilla and Bert you know, kept saying, you know, it's going to work. Just keep going. It's going to work. Just keep going. And then he called me one day and he said, Hey, I just drove through Burger King and George is working at the drive through. And I said, that's how it's supposed to work there. That that's, that's what we want there. We want them to be all over town. And that was really the first, I think, revelation for him. Like, wow, this is really working. Uh, and we have a board member who's commented several times that when we go places to restaurants or, or you know, places where we're having conventions, I hardly ever go anywhere in the Matsu Valley or Anchorage or even I've been in Juneau where kids come up and say, you know, hey, thank you so much. I'm doing really good. And with over a thousand clients spread out across the state of Alaska, we get a lot of really positive feedback. We currently have 623 clients that range from 14 to 25 years old. We have an extensive network of staff and volunteers and community partners that help us with that. But I want to make a point about this because um, in most urban settings, and and I'll use this for an example, two years ago, the Matsu Health Foundation convened a group that was writing a new strategic plan for the Matsu Valley, and it included all the members of our coalition, thankfully, because um, I think we're all very well educated and versed in in homeless services. And the, the person who was hosting that drew a circle up on the board and wrote housing in the middle of it. And then said, what else do you need to end homelessness in your community? And and nobody really spoke up early, and I raised my hand and said, exit strategies. And his response was, I'm not familiar with that term. What is an exit strategy? And I talked to him after that meeting and said, I'm not really sure that you're the person sh- who should be leading this. Because if you don't understand what an exit strategy is from homelessness, then you probably are not going to be able to wrap your brain around the the actual philosophy that we're working from. And and most communities that have most really urban programs that have mass shelters get reimbursed based on the number of clients. Now stay with me on this because this is important. They get reimbursed based on the number of clients they serve rather than the number of homeless able to exit their program. So there's no incentive to reduce the numbers of homelessness. There's no incentive to get those people to exit the program because they get more money when they keep the people in the program. And that's part of the reason that that urban programs have challenges managing homelessness. They actually get rewarded for failure. If we could flip that and say that we're going to reward programs who can demonstrate effectiveness at helping people exit homeless and become productive members of the community, It would completely change the game and it would completely change the way that some of those urban areas experience homeless individuals. And that's easier said than done. That's not a, it's not a, it's not an easy thing to do, especially when you're working with a very vulnerable population like we have. But what other, what other choice do we have? I mean, it's either... It's either start to incentivize these, and I, th- I think especially for youth services, we're really blessed to be a youth organization, right? We are. Because we are. there's so much more hope and willingness to change 
And it's so much further upstream of that large visible homeless population, right? I, I have a lot of respect for the people that are in the trenches working with the chronically homeless population because oh it's boy. it's almost a whole different ball game, right? I mean, it's it's a very intense level of services needed to assist those individuals that have become stuck in those patterns. And, and sometimes through no fault of their own, sometimes through just some uh, extreme mental behavioral health challenges that they didn't have the the family or friend support network to help them with. But it the only thing that happens if we continue to incentivize getting as many people into the system as possible is we're going to aggregate people to one spot and they're they're never going to leave. Right. And and going back to that Burger King story that you were mentioning really quick, right? Because I, I think there's three phases, right? We have a youth that comes in, and the first thing is stabilization. That's when housing is huge. You know, we have a safe, warm place that's an actual bedroom with an actual bed with yep. four walls around you and a bathroom that, if it's not just yours, you're only sharing it with two to three other people max. Mm-hmm. You might you have a roommate. And Usually you have a roommate, yep. somebody sharing your room with you. We've got peer you're support. Not alone. We've got case management that are working with you, talking with you, seeing what your needs are. Then you've got that job at Burger King or in the cafe, right? Mm-hmm. And and this is an opportunity for you to do treatment if you need to do treatment to we can work with you on mental behavioral health challenges. Sometimes it's just life skill stuff and we have the men and women's empowerment classes to work on that, right? There's all these kind of middle services for that Burger King job, right? Because ultimately we, you know, the client that's in that position, they probably don't want to work at Burger King for the next 40 years. And right, we don't want right. them to aspire to work at Burger King for exactly. the next 40 years. But what that job allows them to do is build those job skills, get some money for themselves so that they can have that independence. And this whole time we're supporting with case management, with substance abuse treatment, with mental behavioral health treatment, and with housing, which is super important here. We have that housing in place where either we're, we're assisting you with a voucher or at the very least we're able to subsidize some of that with grants and different programs that we have that allow you to focus on getting those treatment pieces in place for yourself. And then in six months, a year, two years, you're ready, you have the education, you have the life skills to go do something that you want to do that's going to be a career path for you. Yeah, I I really think that's that's the the secret sauce, right? The the and in this community, ten years later, the my house has been able to get upstream of chronic homelessness by addressing those underlying causes. We put clients into situations where they can work out of having mental health needs. They can heal. They can get better. They can get clean and sober. They know what to do if they get into a state of crisis. They know who to call. They know how to get help. They know how to engage a counselor or or a support system or peer support. They know how to get to safety, increase their own employability. The case managers are coaching on that. Break cycles of generational trauma. We have a number of clients who have been on the My Voice program who have spoken at events, who talk about breaking cycles of generational trauma. And when you have a thousand kids over a 10-year period of time that have been through a program like ours and they are not on the street 
panhandling on corners, bouncing from place to place, sleeping in doorways, and, and they're taking other young people along with them. The impact of that is so huge. It's exponential. It's not just a thousand young people that are not on the streets being long-term chronic homeless people. It's their families that have broken the cycles of generational trauma and that no longer live in domestic violence situations or addiction situations. And they're getting educated. We have, I, I can't count the number of young people that we've served here who were the first in their family to graduate from high school or even the first in their family to graduate from college. Those kinds of educational opportunities that were not offered to them at the demographic where they entered the program, but they were able to access through scholarships from Northern Industrial Training, from the jobs, the local job center, the STEP programs. Um, we utilize Alaska Native Associations. I just talked to someone yesterday who came through a local substance use disorder treatment program, and their Native Corporation is playing, paying for them to go to nursing school. And it's been almost eight years later, eight years of sobriety, and they're going to nursing school. Those are great paying jobs. You're, you never can go to a community where they're not looking for a nurse, right? So it's, it's life-changing and and I'm I'm reminded of when we first opened the drop-in center. It's been a, it would be about eight years ago now. We were open about two years, and the manager of the local grocery store walked down here, and he said, "I just came to see what you're doing, because whatever you're doing, um, we don't have." the shoplifting that we had. We don't have kids sleeping in the cafe, the, the, the cafe that's inside our grocery store anymore. The vagrancy has, has dropped significantly. And whatever you're doing, please keep doing it because it's great. And it's helping me do my job better. And so it isn't, you know, it isn't just that they're off the street. They're also out of those places where, where they would hang around and sometimes make people feel a little a little less than comfortable. So it's a big deal. It's a model that's working in our community. It has the potential to work in any community across the country. And changing the attitude about how we treat homeless people and particularly homeless youth into seeing them as assets instead of liabilities and bringing them into a, a system where they are not only supported by staff, but they're supported by community volunteers and other youth is, is absolutely magic. It's life-changing. There's a couple of takeaways for me here. And one of them is that, one, this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? We're talking mm -hmm. about breaking decades-long cycles of generational trauma. And I think that it's been really cool to see clients that are in their 30s now mm -hmm. that are coming in 10 years after they did an intake process right after we first opened our doors that are are coming back in to say this is where I'm at now this is what I was able to do like we're, we're planting those seeds now and sometimes it takes a little while to see kind of the the fruits from that crop it totally right does. it totally does but the more that we continue to do this the, the lower numbers of youth that we're going to see in this community because that individual that's coming back in 10 years later, his kids are not going to be in the same position that he was when he did an intake. That's correct. And secondly, I, I think the message for residents of the Matsu Valley is we have the pieces in place. I mean, we, we have the substance abuse pieces. We have the mental behavioral health pieces. We have the job training pieces. There's money 
available to assist individuals that are dealing with homelessness that that just need a little bit of support that need a way to exit out of the system and be members of the community all all we hear about now is how like you said right at the beginning like how many businesses are reducing their hours because they can't hire someone and that's not just fast food restaurants that's pretty much every single organization not just here but across the country needs employees to work for them that are qualified and there's money and housing and treatment everything that we need to get more individuals out of the homeless population and into the workforce population, which not only helps, most importantly, them and their families, but also helps the community as a whole. We were at the the Best of the Valley Awards last night, and you were the keynote speaker, not a big deal, by the way, talking yeah. about some of this. Yeah. And we, as a borough, as a community, we are very blessed to be in the position that we are right now in this moment, I think. Uh, compared to when you started this organization, we're extremely blessed. So the pieces are there, the stage is set, and now what we need to do as a community is to advocate for the model that we have been practicing for the last 10 years. Because mm -hmm. like you said, it is working. We need the advocacy, we need the collaboration between all the, not just all the nonprofit organizations, but all of our local businesses, because it it's truly making a difference. And it's, I think, a big part of the reason why the Matsu is the fastest growing community in the state. Yes. Well, we know that and we're, we are told by people, new residents, that they're moving out here from Anchorage to get away from that. And so they're moving to a place that doesn't have the challenges that they have in that community. And I'm not criticizing Anchorage specifically, but it is an illustration of, of the, the value of moving upstream, providing those wraparound services to youth and, and exit strategies being really the key for that long-term prevention of long-term homelessness. So that's all we have time for today. Isaac, thank you for being my wingman and thank you for listening. My House podcast is recorded at the My House studio in Wasilla, Alaska. Our producer and editor is Isaac Smolden and I'm Michelle Overstreet. Until next time. <laughs>